I mentioned this earlier, but I'll say it again. Lent began last Wednesday. It began last Wednesday. As I have done for the past two Lenten seasons, I'm going to be preaching specifically on the life of Christ during Lent. Altogether, Lord willing, I plan to preach five messages in this series leading up to Easter, but not including next Sunday because of the missions conference that's already scheduled. Now, I think it's good for us to focus on Christ during Lent. I might add the Lenten season is a wonderful time for all of us to read the Gospels. And I already mentioned this, but I'll say it again. For that reason, I've given every one of you uh, a Matthew reading schedule. And so please take the time to, to do so. I'd like you to open up your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. I plan to read verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Now, we're going to get there shortly. Now, additionally, as I so often do, I'd like you to just keep your Bible open throughout today's message because we're going to go back and reread that again in shorter, uh, more manageable segments. Now, by the way, this account is also found in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52 as well as John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. However, only Matthew's account tells us about Peter walking on the water. I'm going to be primarily speaking from Matthew's gospel, but I am going to mention several distinctions that are found in Mark's gospel and John's, and and there are several distinctions. As an aside, I find it interesting that Mark does not even mention Peter walking on the water. I say that because many Bible scholars believe that Peter was Mark's source while writing his gospel account. But I have a couple of theories. Let me quickly share them. First one is this. Perhaps Peter's humility prevented him from relaying to Mark his walking on water. He was too humble to tell him. Maybe that's an answer. Or maybe, here's even a, a better one, Peter was, was too embarrassed to mention it to Mark. Because he eventually sank, and Jesus had to rescue him. Now, I guess this side of heaven we will never know for sure. All we can do is speculate, and maybe you've got some other reasons. Maybe it's even none of those. Let me go ahead and read our text. Matthew chapter 14 Verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, 
Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We believe that you have a, a message for us today. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher and our guide. May you use these feeble words of mine for thy glory. And may I be hidden behind the cross of Christ that only Jesus is seen and heard. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, it might be beneficial, I think, uh, to begin this particular message with this question. Where are we in relation to Jesus' three plus years of earthly ministry? Where are we? Now, chronologically speaking, this particular event occurred in the third year of Jesus' earthly ministry and immediately following his miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, however, you've probably heard me say this before, but during that particular uh, feeding, Jesus actually fed upwards of 15,000, including the women and the children. And the Bible says that all were satisfied, and there were 12 basketfuls that were left over. Now Mark tells us in his gospel, the disciples weren't sure all that transpired during that miraculous feeding. But no doubt, I think we would agree that they were riding on a spiritual high as a result of it. As Jesus' disciples pushed out the sea, they were sailing much calmer waters. But as often is the case, this was the calm just before the storm. Rough seas were looming on their horizon, just waiting to blow in. Now here's our theme, and I want you to hear this. Jesus may steer us toward rough seas, but always Jesus steers us through rough seas. He may steer us toward rough seas, but he always steers us through those rough seas. Now that is, he'll do that if we let him. If we let him. Now as we plow through this morning's message, there are three great truths concerning rough seas that are revealed. Now I suggest that you commit these great revealed truths to memory. For even if the sea that you're sailing now is something that you would say is very quiet and calm, someday soon you're going to find yourself sailing rough seas. And when that happens, we often wonder, what is God up to? I'm about to capsize here. Where is God? I believe that's exactly what Jesus' disciples felt like. Where is Jesus? Look what's happening. Well, let's begin. Our first great revealed truth is this. Even obedient Christians experience rough seas from time to time. Some of you need to hear that. You need to hear that. Because you think that just because people are being obedient, there's no rough seas. That's not what happens. 
Even obedient Christians experience rough seas from time to time. Now, I said we go back and reread some of our texts. We read all of it, actually. Let me read verses 22 through 24. Follow along. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So even obedient Christians experience rough seas from time to time. Unless we read John's Gospel, we're not really sure why Jesus dismissed his disciples and sent them out to sea all by themselves to sail solo while he stayed back. But I have a theory here. Now let me share it with you. John tells us that following the miraculous feeding of, of the, of the 5,000, those present were intending to go and make Jesus king by force. That's what he tells us. In other words, they, they were planning this coup d'etat, and Jesus could not allow that to happen. It wasn't his time. Besides, Jesus' kingdom wasn't physical, but spiritual. However, Jesus was made king. You need to understand that his disciples' status would climb remarkably. So this would be a, a great temptation. Thus, Jesus may have dismissed his disciples to keep them from jumping on that bandwagon of making him king. No doubt if Jesus hadn't dismissed them, that's exactly what they would have done. They would have joined the others. Now, John also tells us where Jesus' disciples were heading. He tells us that they were heading to Capernaum. Now, you might remember that Capernaum was Peter's hometown, and it was also the base for Jesus' earthly ministry. I think you would agree with this. Going home was always a treat, isn't it? It's always a treat. Therefore, the disciples didn't object when Jesus sent them on ahead and, and said he was going to dismiss the crowd. For they were probably tired and they were all eager to see their families. It's always nice to go home. When they set sail, the water was nowhere as rough as it, become, as it became. I say that because John tells us this. He says a strong wind was blowing, and here it is, and the waters grew rough. He says they grew rough. John also tells us that they had rowed between three and three and a half miles at this point. But because Jesus is God, I want you to understand that he was well aware of what awaited them. He knew what was in their, in their future, that these rough seas were coming, and yet Jesus ordered his disciples to sail alone in the rough seas. That's what he did. Now, on the surface, that may seem a bit harsh. But in reality, Jesus was using this to prepare his disciples for his exodus, for very soon he was going to ascend back to the Father. Now, I might add, this wasn't the first time that these disciples had ever sailed rough seas. I remind you that several of Jesus' disciples were seasoned and accomplished fishermen, Peter and Andrew. James and John, for instance. And at least on one other occasion, 
Jesus had sailed with the disciples through rough seas. So therefore, they had some experience with rough seas. Now, I didn't say they were all experts, but they certainly weren't inexperienced either. This was a, really a test of their faith. How would their faith fare? Now, not only did Jesus knowingly send them in the rough seas, but Jesus was also aware of his disciples' plight, their plight. As they were struggling at the oars. Now, now maybe you're wondering how I know that. Mark tells us that in his gospel. Listen to what Mark writes. He said, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So Jesus saw this. Now that must have been painful for Jesus just to sit and watch his disciples straining at the oars and doing nothing about it. Jesus loved those guys. He loved them. They were his friends and and no doubt Jesus wanted to come to their rescue, but at this point he just could not. Jesus had to wait and wait he did. By waiting, Jesus was testing his disciples' faith. Now, on a similar note, you might remember, the Bible talks about Jesus waiting several days before traveling to Bethany after getting word of the grave illness of Lazarus, his friend. By doing so, what actually happened, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. But that was his purpose. That was his purpose. I say that because when Jesus arrived in in Bethany, what he did was he raised Lazarus from the dead, a far greater miracle than healing him. But as always, Jesus used his time wisely. The Bible says that he was praying. Did you catch that? He was praying. Thus, Jesus was probably interceding on his disciples' behalf. Now, I believe Jesus was praying that their faith would stand the test and that this experience would prepare them for the future. I know that's pure speculation, but it's what I believe nonetheless. Now, before we leave this section, I'd like to share with you several good insights that we discover here. And I think you need to hear these, especially this one right here. Just because you find yourself sailing rough seas... Don't automatically assume you're outside of God's will. Because that's what often happens. We, we face this rough sea. Oh, I must have stepped outside of God's will. Perhaps, but perhaps not. You may be right where God wants you to be. Remember, Jesus ordered his disciples to sail into rough seas. And maybe, just maybe, he's done the same for you. He has a purpose for that. And second, when sailing rough seas, take heart, because Jesus is watching and praying. He's watching and praying. Now, Jesus knows your plight, and He's always interceding on a believer's behalf before the Father. Paul tells us that in Romans, the 8th chapter. Listen to what he said. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And finally, here's the third one. Maybe you need to hear this one. Don't expect Jesus to immediately come to your aid. Don't expect that. He didn't come to the disciples' aid immediately, did he? No. It may take time. 
So hang in there. See, the rough sea that you're experiencing may be a test, just a test. So how are you faring? Never forget that Jesus is well aware of your plight. He sees you, and he's even interceding for you. Can you think of of anyone more worthwhile praying for you than Jesus? Can you? I cannot. I cannot. First, we said that even obedient Christians face rough seas from time to time. Now, here's a, a second great truth revealed by today's text. If Jesus steers you into rough seas, expect his aid. If he steers you there, expect his aid. Now, notice I said aid and not rescue. That was purposeful. Because sometimes Jesus does not rescue us from rough seeds. But Jesus always aids us as we traverse those rough seas that he steered us into. And sometimes he does steer us into them. Let me go ahead and read verses 25 and 26 again. Matthew chapter 14. You follow along. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a a, a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. If Jesus steers you into rough seas, expect his aid. Now, you need to understand, when the time was right, Jesus went to his disciples. Not a minute too soon, not a minute too late. The Bible says this, it was during the fourth watch of the night. Did you catch that? Now, i got to explain this. That's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So, I think we can safely say that these disciples were struggling at the oars for some time. Really, all night almost. For we know it was just about morning. Apparently, Jesus' disciples weren't faring too well with their faith test. I say that because it's evident that Jesus' disciples, they weren't expecting him to come. Now, let me explain. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And the Bible says that they thought he was a ghost. Now, reading between the lines, I think we can safely say they were scared out of their wits. No, No question about it. But let's not be too hard on them. If you or I saw a person Walking on water, and by the way, we're not talking about on a frozen lake. We're not talking about that kind of water. We probably think something similar. But had they been expecting Jesus, then they would have been looking for him. Therefore, I think we can safely say, and I want you to hear this, the rough seas had gotten the best of their faith. And that's often the case. So what do we learn from this? The next time you find yourself sailing God-ordained rough seas, try asking Jesus for His aid, and then expect His aid to come. And even if His aid seems a long time in coming, I say to you, don't lose heart. If Jesus Jesus has sent you into rough seas, He'll eventually come to your aid. He's always faithful. However, on the flip side, if you're sailing all on your own, and this isn't a a Jesus-ordained rough sea, but it's a your-ordained rough sea, because you're outside of the will of God, 
come to your senses and, and you call on Jesus, what should you expect? Well, first of all, you should expect Jesus to graciously rescue you from your sin, where the Bible teaches that. Second, you should expect Jesus to place you or put you back on track. But do not, I repeat, do not expect Jesus to automatically erase every consequence of your sin. Don't expect that. Quite frankly, He rarely does. Largely, I think that's because the consequences of our sin help to keep us from sinning that way in the future. Because we remember them, we recall them, and we say, I don't want to go through that again. At least that's what they should do. Thus far, we said, even obedient Christians experience rough seas from time to time. And if Jesus steers you in the rough seas, expect His aid. Mind you, not His rescue, but His aid. Now, finally, we discover today's third and great final revealed truth, and it's this. Jesus uses rough seas to grow your faith. He uses those rough seas to grow your faith. Let me go ahead and read verses 27 down to 33. Follow along. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So this final great revealed truth is, Jesus uses rough seas to grow your faith. Unless we look at the original language, we miss the significance of how Jesus acknowledged who he was. Now his announcement was was much stronger than the NIV that I just read. For, For that translation says, it is I. It is I. Now really, and some of you will get this, but I'll explain it. Jesus said, I am. He said, I am. Now, remember, that was the name that God had reserved for Himself. God shared that name with Moses during His burning bush experience. Now, using that name, by using it, Jesus was claiming deity. Here is what Jesus was saying in a sense. Take heart. God has come to your rescue. God is here. Now, too often, I think Bible teachers use this segment to bash Peter for sinking. Maybe you've heard that. But I say to you, at least Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, didn't he? You didn't see the other ones getting out, did you? Peter got out. And Peter did walk on water for a spell. How long he walked, or how far, I can't say. Now, it's been my experience And I said this during Sunday school class, and you need to hear this. Any movement of God requires someone to get out of the boat. Somebody got to get out of the boat. If everyone just sits in the boat, then nothing happens. I wonder, is this why the church in America isn't experiencing revival as it could 
or should. For too many Christians are refusing to get out of the boat. And they're all just sitting in the boat. And I'm not saying thus saying the Lord. It's just a thought, but it does at least sound reasonable, I think. So why did Peter sink? It's a good question. Peter sank because he took his eyes off of Jesus. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on water. But the very moment that he fretted about the, the wind and, and the waves that were caused by the wind, he, be, he started to sink like a rock. He started thinking, well, look at what I'm doing here. What am I doing out here? The same thing will happen to you and me. You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus. Remember, Jesus said this in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. I guess that was a good point. As an aside, you or I will probably never walk on water. But through availability and openness, we can do great things for God. We can do things beyond what we could ever dream of or imagine. The question is this, are we available? Are we open to God's leading? Or do we just want to sit in the boat and wait for somebody else to step out of the boat? And then that person is waiting for somebody else to step out. So we all just sit in the boat. While sinking like a rock. Peter noticed the graveness of his situation and he had enough faith to cry out for Jesus' help. By the way, Peter's prayer here is the shortest recorded in the Bible and I love it. It's just three words here. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever heard or uttered a prayer of desperation that wasn't short? Never. Peter's prayer was short and simple because there wasn't time or need for lengthy, flowery words. The same is true of our prayers of desperation. Immediately following Peter's prayer of desperation, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught Peter. And after this, Matthew tells us that Jesus and Peter climbed into the boat. Jesus was welcoming the boat. Wow. As foolish as it may sound, I've met many believers over the years that choose to fail solo rather than sailing with Jesus. Yet Jesus said this about himself, and I'm saying this to you in the 11th chapter of Matthew, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Now, let me just stop and say, some of you need to hear this. Jesus is speaking this to you right now. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you ask Jesus to climb aboard your ship, or are you choosing to sail solo? Matthew tells us the very moment Jesus climbed on board, the wind ceased. Now, here's one you may not know. You've got to read John's account. He tells us that immediately after Jesus climbed aboard the boat, it reached shore. 
Now, it wasn't near shore before. This was a miracle. They got to their destination. Let me say this. Jesus will not always calm your storm. But hear this. His presence can and does bring peace to even the most turbulent of waters. Some of you are are sailing some pretty turbulent seas. So I say this to you. Sail with Jesus. Sail with Jesus. I can't conclude this segment without at least commenting on how the disciples responded. The Bible says that disciples responded by worshiping Jesus. You see, today's experience had grown the disciples' faith to the point they realized, now hear me, that God incarnate was in their boat. So it was difficult a night as the disciples' experience. I say this to you, the rough seas were of great benefit. They were of great benefit. The rough seas grew their faith. And rough seas, like perhaps you're experiencing, can do the same for you. That is, if you let them. But it's been my experience that we rarely let rough seas grow our faith. You know why that is? Because we're too busy usually complaining and griping about them. Why me? Why this? Why now? I do it too. I do it too. Now let me close by reviewing our three great revealed truths. Even experienced Christians experience rough seas from time to time. Number two, if Jesus steers you into rough seas, expect his aid. Number three, Jesus uses rough seas to grow your faith. I've heard it said, and this is a good way to conclude, I think, that there are two types of storms that we face in life. The first are called storms of correction. Storms of correction. You might want to write this down. Storms of correction. Now, God brings those storms of correction our way to discipline them, to discipline us, because we're currently living outside of His will. God uses them to, to get our attention and to bring us back on track. Now, a good example would be the storm that Jonah faced due to his disobedience. God told Jonah specifically, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. But Jonah couldn't dare to see that group of people turn to God in repentance. So he flat out disobeyed, and he went sailing in the opposite direction instead. So what did God do? He brought this literal storm. It was a storm. Jonah's way to get his attention. Now, I might add, other than a literal storm, his storm also included, can you imagine this, being swallowed up and spit out by a large fish. Now, Jonah, his storm of correction, you better believe got his attention. The Bible says that he went to Nineveh and he preached against it and revival resulted. The The people repented. Got to look at this mic when we're done here. Now, second... God also brings storms of perfection our way. The first was called a storm of correction. This one is a little different, a storm of perfection. 
Storms of perfection come our way, not because we're living outside of the will of God, but because God desires to grow us. Without traversing a rough sea from time to time, we'd never grow as God desires that we grow. Remember our theme. Sometimes Jesus may steer us toward rough seas, but Jesus always steers us through rough seas. So the next time, maybe even now, you find yourself smack dab in the middle of rough seas, and if you're not now, you will, you need to ask yourself two questions. Here's the first. Have I strayed from God's will, and that's why I currently feel like this boat I'm in is capsizing? It's a valid question. The second one is this. Or am I right where God wants me and He's brought me through these rough seas for my spiritual benefit? Now it may take time for you to discover an answer. But if you're diligent, God will show you. If you discovered, well, I've strayed from God's will, then you need to stop dead in your tracks and you need to repent and then ask God, so that He might steer you back on track. Now, He'll graciously oblige. However, the ride might remain rough for a spell because the consequences of your sin need to play out. He forgives, but He often doesn't remove those consequences. But after asking yourself those two questions, you decide the latter. You decide, I'm right where God wants me to be, maybe that's you, then you need to trust Jesus to steer you through the rough seas. And you also need to trust Him in a different manner. I trust that you're going to teach me something along the way. I trust that this is for my spiritual benefit. Now, what do you have for me, Lord? What can you show me? Believe me, it's not going to be easy. But I say this to you, and I'll conclude with this. I want you to hear it. It's better to face rough seas within God's will than it is to face calm seas outside of God's will. When we face those calm seas outside of God's will, we're facing them all alone. We're sailing solo. God wants us to sail with Him on His established course. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this This great uh, passage, I think. It's a great reminder that that sometimes you do steer us in the rough seas. I think we've gotten in our minds, Lord, that uh, when we start experiencing persecution, when we start experiencing trials and and troubles, well, I must be outside of God's will, or, or why would I be experiencing that? No, we may be right where you want us to be, Lord, because you want to grow us. You want to maybe even test us. Show what we're made out of. So I pray, Father, that we would ask those questions. And if we're outside of Your will, that we would repent and ask You to steer us back on track. But if we are, may we ask You, Lord, what are You trying to teach us? And Lord, would You please come to my aid? Because I feel like I'm sinking. Thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious and good God. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the honor, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our last.